是什么垃圾呀、啊、？Oh, I'm sorry. <coughs> You're listening to the Mars Attacks podcast with Victor. 再见。This is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Ron Bumble from Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Winner from Monster Magnet. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic. Hey, everybody, this is your big daddy O, Gene Hoagland. Hey, this is Kurt Winstein from Crowbar. Hey, my little head, my little little doll, Cassie. I just come out of peace, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yow! Hi, yeah, okay. So, hey, this is Paul Shortino. How you doing? Formerly of Rough Cut, Quiet Riot, and currently with King Cobra. You're listening to Mars Attack. <laughs> hey, what's up, everyone? This is Mark from Chimera. This is Vinny Apsey from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. <laughs> Hey, this is Richard Christie from the band Charred Walls of the Damned on Metal Blade Records, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Okay, this is Patrick from Heaven Below. You're listening to Mars Attacks, the place where you hear all the new loudest rock. Hey, this is George Lynch, Lynch Mob, Dawkins, and all kinds of other projects, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
you're listening to the Mars Attack Podcast. Here is your host, Victor. Let's get it up. Welcome, one and all, to episode 70 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I am your host, Victor, and we are back once again. As I mentioned on Facebook, for all of you that were worried about Mars Attacks going away, not enough Mars Attacks episodes, three episodes in less than two weeks, if I'm not mistaken. We did the Mitzvah Fon episode uh, during the course of this past weekend, and we did the Slayer special, uh, I guess a little over a week before that. But anyway, we've done 68, 69, and 70, fairly close to one another. So we're trying to get some pretty cool interviews out the door, some people that I've never spoken to before, some people that I've spoken to in the past, but sort of reached out because I've liked what they've put out recently and just want to help spread the word, you know. Um, in the end, I'm just... A music fan, and you know, I like talking to people whose music I dig. You know, so that's it. That's <laughs> that's probably the biggest reason why I do this. But uh, anyway, uh, for those of you that don't know, I just mentioned the Facebook page. You can go to Facebook forward slash Mars Attacks Radio and find us there. Facebook.com, obviously. You can go to Twitter, Mars Aries two thousand and five, and find us. There's a Google Plus page. There's a MySpace page. There's a page almost everywhere for uh, Mars Attacks Radio. It sounds confusing. It isn't. Go to MarsAttacksRadio.com and you'll find links to all the cool uh, social media sites that we're associated to where you can find us. And sign up. Follow us. Um, you can follow us there on Facebook, on Twitter, but subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Leave your comments on iTunes, even if it's a bad comment. Any comment whatsoever helps push this podcast to the forefront. And, you know, we need all the help you can give us. So, um, yeah, so I'd appreciate if you could do that. This episode has two separate interviews. I mentioned that we're bringing new people to the forefront that I've never interviewed before, and we're inviting people back. The first part of the interview, the first part of the episode, excuse me, uh, will be Patrick Kennison from Heaven Below. We had him way back when uh, on the show. I was looking it up. Um, it's almost three years ago that we've had him on the show, about two and a half years. But I've been in contact on and off with him via Facebook, and... Um, I just wanted to reach out to him because they just recently, Heaven Below just recently put out a box set. And as you'll listen um, in the interview, as you'll listen to him mention, fumbling over my words here, um, he mentions how they tried to put out a box set that was cheap in price, fifteen ninety nine up on iTunes, and it has 40 songs. Um, sure, some of the songs are alternate takes or remixes or live tracks or acoustic tracks, but still, sixteen ninety nine for 40 songs. If it was any other group, 
you better believe that that would be closer to 100, if not more. So I think that's really cool uh, that they're doing that. Uh, the second interview featured in today's podcast is the legendary George Lynch. Uh, he's got this really cool project that he's working on called Shadow Train, and we're going to talk to him about that. Um, we actually kicked things off with TNN, which for those of you that don't know, is George, is Jeff Pilson, is Mick Brown, all former members of Dokken. Uh Also has uh, Brian Tichy on a few tracks, Parsippany, New Jersey native, not that far from where I grew up in Dover, New Jersey. Um, and it also features on the track that uh, we had, we played Kiss of Death, and it has Tim Ripper Owens. Always a song that I've absolutely loved, no matter what rendition of that song. There was the heavily detuned, excuse me, um, version that he put out with the um, uh, Revolution album, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that was really cool. I have the DVD for that as well. Also features our good friend Anthony Esposito from the Ace Freely Band, and. Um, yeah, and, and this version with Ripper is really cool as well, you know, uh, not to take anything away from the original, which, actually, Dawkins' Back for the Attack is the very first CD I ever owned. So, not that anyone was, was ever wondering, but I figured I'd just throw that out there. Anyway, as always, what I want to do is get into some cool music before we jump into uh, any of the featured artists. Uh just earlier this week, I received, thanks to Century Media, the new Queensryche track with Todd Latore on lead vocals. Uh, let's check that out. The name of the track is Redemption. The full album will be out at some point in June. <laughs> Reflection 
so the first shot has been fired in the Queensryche sortie. We shall see what Jeff Tate brings to the table. Obviously, Todd Latore sounds a hell of a lot like Jeff Tate. It isn't like um, Blaze Bailey coming in for Bruce Dickinson. And not that there's anything wrong with Blaze Bailey. I think he did good on some of the Maiden tracks that he was a part of. Um, I just think it caught a lot of people off guard and Bruce sort of became that voice. Queen Drake, I think, is sort of smart with going with someone that, you know, sounds a lot like Jeff Tate because in the end... When people go to see them in concert, again, I'm a music nerd. I know who all the members of Queensryche are. I know who everyone is that's come and gone through the, you know, through the lineup. Does the casual fan know who Chris DeGarmo is or who Jeff Tate is? I guarantee you they don't. The casual fan, maybe 1% knows that fact, you know, and maybe because there's all this press surrounding, you know, the legal battles and whatnot over the name. and But, uh, you know, it's odd. Tracy Guns decides to stop using the name L.A. Guns, so we no longer have two L.A. Guns, and now we have two Queensryche. So, hey, you win some, you lose some, <laughs> you know. Anyway, let's keep things going with our good friends from right here in Spain. This is Angela Sepatrida, who just earlier today has announced that they're going to be playing a few select dates with Meshuga here in Europe. This is off of their album, The Call. This is the second track, At the Gates of Hell, by Angela Sepatrida. <laughs>
are listening to one of the many great shows featured on the Cast Iron Ring Network. To see all the great shows featured on the Cast Iron Ring, to get download links, find out what's going on, as well as get hooked up with our free iOS app, head to castironring.com. Kingmaker by Spiritual Beggars. That comes off of their forthcoming album, Earth Blues, that will be out next month. Really cool album. Check it out. And we're going to have Charlie D'Angelo, the bass player of Spiritual Beggars, Arch Enemy, Witchery, um, King Diamond, Merciful Fade, so on and so forth. He's been involved in a lot of different bands over the years. Can have an interview with him. Uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, it'll be up before the album comes out. So we'll feature tracks off of that 
uh, probably leading up to the release of that interview. But anyway, I hope you dug that. I really think that track is really, really cool. Let's get into a little Heaven Below. We're going to have Patrick back on the show. Uh, or actually, this interview is going to be him back on the show for the first time in close to two years, talking about the Dos Diablos, or as I would say here in Spain, Dos Diablos, digital box set. And uh, just a lot of great music crammed into, you know, um, a very affordable, you know, box set. So we're going to get into all that good stuff. Um, We're going to jump on a track that he mentions in the interviews, one of the very first tracks that he ever wrote for the band. Uh, The name of the song is Scream. Um, As you can see with this episode, there's a wide variety of different types of hard rock and metal that I am playing. Um, Sort of further stresses my golf clap moment with the last episode that a lot of people have chimed in and said, hey, you know, glad that you mentioned that. You know, metal isn't just Slayer in my opinion. They're just part of, you know, what um, what comes to the table or, or, or what, you know, what one side of metal. I had more than one person contact me through Facebook uh, to mention that. So I thought it was pretty cool. And, um, you know, if you're interested in having your opinion heard, feel free to drop us a line, input at marsattacksradio.com. Also very important, there was a ID there that Scott from Radioactive Metal was kind enough to put together for the Cast Iron Ring. Please go to castironring.com and check out all of the great shows that are featured. Not only Mars Attacks, speaking of other cool podcasts... Uh, just recorded an episode with Mark Striegel of Talking Metal. Always fun to talk to Mark. Um, definitely a, a very big inspiration, those two guys from Talking Metal. And I've said it many a times. They gave me the proverbial kick in the ass to uh, get started with everything. And, you know, I have no no issue at all bringing that up all the time because it's 100% accurate. Um, but it's fun. It's fun to talk to Mark. Um, and who knows? Th- this episode will be a joint episode between Mars Attacks and Talking Metal. Hopefully you guys dig it. We discuss some fairly interesting topics and hopefully we'll uh, we'll continue to do more shows from time to time. I get a lot of good feedback from that as well. So, uh, anyway... Let's get into Scream from Heaven Below, and after that we'll get into the interview with Patrick. Crazy, I wanna feel you move your body. 
So, who came up with the idea to release the uh, Dos Diablos box set? It was, uh, I guess I'm going to have to take credit for it. Um, the way that came out, it was my idea with the name. We had been selling Countdown to Devil, our first album. We, would, we were selling a special edition one that was only on CD that came with a bunch of extra tracks. And then, as you might know, we came out with a, an acoustic EP slash live album that was called Reworking right. the Devil, that was songs from mm-hmm. Countdown. And the truth of the matter is, Reworking the Devil was our least selling album. And huh. it wasn't meant to be it wasn't meant to be a full release. It was just some weird acoustic versions and some live tracks from one of our little tours. Right. And one day I said, you know what? Let's package both Countdown to Devil and Reworking the Devil and sell it as mm-hmm. a set. And um our distributor was smart and got these cool wraparound sleeves printed and I said, Let's call it Dos Diablos, two devils. It makes sense to me. And then of course it grew into the you know, one of us in the Dos Equis and we're like Right. See the Dosecki's logo on it, and that <laughs> C that CD went went from from uh, you know because it was our first album, and and not not all our like you know hardcore fans had it. It went from not selling to selling out on CD. All those copies of Reworking the Devil that weren't selling were totally sold out because it was packaged huh. as Dos Diablos. Right. And then cool. we, we didn't have it available online. It was I think it was on Spotify, but it wasn't available to download on iTunes because our manager right. had wanted us not to put too much product up there. And it was time. I finally said, look, we got to put this up. People are buying Ghost Diablos on CD. I feel compelled. we got to make it available digitally. So me trying to be a marketing genius, at least trying, I was like, well, let's put out all the songs that we had that were for free online off our site in between our tours. We used to do these little packages for, for people. We would hand out download cards and they could get an album or some tracks that, that weren't on the albums. I said, let's take right. all those tracks and let's give everybody an insane box set and make it um, really priced well. And so we were able to work out with iTunes to have it it's fifteen ninety nine, but it's actually 40 songs and a digital booklet. And it's funny, not that we're trying to sell the same thing over again like so many huge bands do, but it, it comes out to like four CDs worth of stuff for, for $16, you know, and 12 of them are right. bonus tracks. <laughs> so that's kind of how the whole Dos Diablos thing came to be. And I guess I'd like to take credit for resurrecting, reworking the devil from being one of our low, smallest sellers to, to, to being up there with count, almost selling as much as Countdown to Devil. So. Right. Cool. So that's the whole Dos Diablos thing. And it's funny you mention that because I was looking at iTunes uh, actually before giving you a call, and some of the tracks off of Reworking the Devil are actually the, you know, the um, single tracks that are selling the most. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's, it's, it's because people have to, they sometimes have to be reintroduced, like, a lot of people will say, oh, that's that band that, that, does, that had When Daylight Dies on radio, or that's the heartbreaker. And then you amass fans, new fans, that realize there was reworking the devil. And I guess that's how it comes to be, like you just said. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Does it ever surprise you when you go online and see what songs people are buying more than others? Do you ever sit there and say, wow, why aren't they buying this song, but they're buying the other one? Yeah, it's funny. Our bass player John just brought that to my attention. Um, we're going to get our reports on how we, what we sold on iTunes and digitally next month. But it does show we already know which songs were downloaded the most, and we noticed that Scream and The Laughing Dead 
has been getting crazy downloads. And it's funny, when we first started the band, those were the two songs that people really liked, even before Daylight Dies, at least out here in California, when we play out. Right. And so it, it's like full circle. It's like, it's like if you have your pulse on it and four people like it, fast forward later and suddenly 4,000, hopefully one day 4 million, you know, people start to <laughs> right. like it. So, yeah, it comes full circle. People are into, the, into Scream and The Laughing Dead, which are two of the earliest songs I ever wrote for the band. Interesting. Interesting how that all works out. Yeah. And you just mentioned Heartbreaker. That doesn't appear on here. Is there a reason why it isn't available on Dos Diablos? Yeah, we kind of, we're, we're pretty structured. Um, Heartbreaker is on the self-titled EP, the one with the blue girl pointing down. And okay. we we purposely made it so that Dos Diablos is, is Counting on the Devil with bonus tracks, reworking the Devil expanded, and then um, the two the two internet only releases from the past, gotcha. which is Horns and okay, Halos, and and yeah, so everything we didn't we didn't re uh, we didn't recycle. There was no song recycling. Everything is pretty streamlined now, and all our all our material is currently on iTunes and all over the digital distributors. Uh, okay, cool. You had also talked to me in the past about doing a version of Ace of Spades. Did you guys ever sit down and actually record that? Do you plan on recording that? And do you have any other covers that uh, you want to do in the future? We sure do. Check it out. This is what we're going to do. And I know a lot of bands have done this, but we're trying to put our spin on it. We're, we're getting ready to record four cover songs. Each band member chose a song from their favorite all-time band. And it's looking like, and I don't want to jinx it, it's looking like we might get some of the, the guest uh, appearances from the original bands to play on the, huh. on the cover song. We're in the process of working on that right now. And we, we're green-lighted on one of them. And I know I'm not going to tell you who it is yet, but uh, <laughs> that's going to be a four-song cover EP. We don't know how it's going to come out or what we're going to use it for. Because to be honest with you, we have an acoustic EP that's already finished. Um, that's kind of like a jar of flies, kind of vibey, but a little heavier kind of thing. And right. we're already working on our next full length too, so we're we're pretty hmm. we're keeping it pretty busy. Do you have any type of timetable for when you expect all of these different things to come out? It's funny you ask. We were just talking with the guys and our distributor. Uh, next month, we're finally releasing our video for Dodging a Bullet that I've been talking about with press, with all the press people and everybody and all the fans. It's finally coming out. It had a lot of legal problems, and you'll see why. The second you see the Dodging a Bullet video, you're going to go, aha, no wonder it took so long. Um, <laughs> we talked about it on air on Indie 100 the other night, and we took, uh, we took one of yours and mine and everybody's favorite movies, and mm -hmm. we put ourselves in the movie. And the way technology is, not in a cheesy, paste-in kind of way. It really looks like we're the characters from the movie, and that's what our song is. And it's been a legal nightmare and a technical huh. nightmare to do that kind of technology. Right. And we're going to release that next month. Okay. So that's just the movie houses or whatever not wanting to allow you guys to uh, use the footage or it's something completely different? Exactly. Yeah, the, the legal part is that. You can't, just, you can't just take Star Wars and put yourself next to Darth Vader and, and, and put it on the Internet. I mean, you can, but it's not technically legal. They'll let, right. they'll let kids in their bedroom do it, but as soon as it's a band that has any kind of activity, even on any kind of level, whether it's almost like the bigger the band, the harder it is, but I guess yeah. I'm flattered that they actually care that we're doing it. 
so yeah, it's been a it's been a legal nightmare, and, and we're and, um, we're finally releasing it next month. It's the dodging a bullet video, and the few people that have seen it, it's the response has been incredible. The first thing most people say is, "I can't believe a band hasn't done this yet. Finally, you guys did this." And you know, <laughs> we just tried to mastermind. We're trying to mastermind a plan to uh, to further our world domination. You know, it, it's thousand anymore where you got seven major, major labels and I can get my band signed by going down to Sunset Boulevard or, or whatever. So right. bands are finding other ways. You know, I know that the Black Belt Rides have utilized some unorthodox ways to get where they are and a lot of bands out there. So we're we're totally open to uh, experimenting and finding out how to get our get our stuff out unconventionally. <laughs> right. I hear you. Yeah, there there's so many different things with technology that people are just stumbling upon now that I'm sure everything will be completely different within the next few years because, I mean, as you said, the, the, all those labels don't exist anymore. So it would be interesting to see where things go. Exactly. We, we in the, Yeah, in the past we've been like that with our coffin kit. You know, we try to sell things that nobody else might have. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of times people – you know, bitch about um, artists or labels, bitch about people not buying things. But, you know, I, I think in the past when an album came out, it was special. Uh, aside from the whole downloading factor, like you're saying, you know, bands went the extra mile to say, all right, well, let's put out some cool packaging and make sure people sit there for hours and just absorb what we've put together. Not only the music, but, you know, the booklet or you know, the the old Maiden covers or, you know, th things of that nature. Exactly, yeah. We're, we're, we we always try to put a digital booklet in with all our albums that are online. If you go to iTunes, you get a digital yep. booklet. And I know it's not the same as holding the holding the comic book in your hand, but, yeah, we, uh, we're all about what you're talking about. We love that. One of the things that I always like to ask uh, artists, and maybe uh, you'll have a different spin on it based on, all of the uh, or all of the material that you're about to put out, but in your opinion, and based on iTunes and how people are buying things nowadays, uh, do you think that the album format is dead? Uh, we have a talk about in the band. I don't think it is. No, I don't believe that it's only going to be a single-driven market because when it comes to Metallica or it comes to heritage bands or any band that you really like, whether it's Avenged Sevenfold, all the way up to Metallica, I don't think one song is enough to satisfy a diehard fan. And, you know, I, I just can't subscribe to it. And as an artist, no, I don't, I don't like putting all my stock in one song. Can you imagine right. when we were little kids, if, if, if they said, okay, you're only going to get um, Enter Sandman. There's this, there's this black album that's going to come out one day, but right now it's just Enter Sandman forever. There's no release date, and you only get to listen to Enter Sandman. That would suck. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'm old school. I'm against that, you know, but the CD format definitely is going by the wayside a little bit, and we see it because our, our digital sales far outweigh our CD sales. Right. Have you guys uh, looked into doing anything with vinyl or any of the older formats that are sort of being revitalized at the moment? We want to do vinyl really bad, but in typical health, health format, we want to do picture discs. We want to do multiple. Uh, we want to do like a box set, and of course, our distributor screams. Um, it's really expensive to do that, and what'll end up happening is we'll have to sell it for too much money. And one thing with Heaven Below is we refuse 
to, to sell things for retail or, or more than they should be. You know, I subscribe to Metallica's way of the Judge Day's revisit, you know, 599 album, and, and now that Metallica's off Warner Brothers, I saw that they, uh, when you buy the new live DVD, they set the retail price really low, so you're only going to drop yeah. 10 or 12 bucks for it. I always say what you will about Metallica. I think that's amazing and awesome to keep the price low. So yeah, we're yeah. going to do vinyl, but we're, we can't we can't get it at the at a cut rate enough, you know, because with it's like anything else, you have to print so many thousand, and it'd be scary for us to to sit on a few thousand and take a lot of time to make that money back. So we feel right. like we're still in the exposing level of the band with the with the box. You know, we just finally were able to release a box set to acquire enough material. So. We're not ready for vinyl, but I promise when we do, it's gonna be it's gonna be a picture disc, it's gonna be a box set. It's, hell, I have to come with our blood and semen inside the cover, and I'll be happy. <laughs> cool. <laughs> the Key Club just closed down recently, and given that you guys are an LA band, how does that affect the entire rock, hard rock, metal scene out there in LA? Well, already affected it a little bit. Um, you know, we got to look to places like the Roxy, where 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 Heaven Below has a place. Because our mainstays are House of Blues, the Viper Room. Our first shows ever were at the Key Club. Um, so yeah, it does affect it greatly. But you know, there's still bands. I the Key Club is getting getting bought out by a New York uh, dance club. And you know, if if I had a crystal ball, not just because I'm a rock guy, I'm gonna tell you club is going to be very expensive they're going to try to roll out the red carpet and charge people twenty dollars for drinks and you know, a lot of money i just don't see that doing well on the strip so uh i might be i might uh, like a profit when i tell you it's going to be a rock club again i believe before before <laughs> long but yeah it does affect us we're playing places we wouldn't have played before but in a good way like like we play the house of blues over in anaheim uh we're going to be playing the grove in Anaheim in May, and it kind of keeps us from being too comfortable. It's always easy to go to the Key Club and do a show because people come out, and it's a great venue, or it was. So right. change is good. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I think it'll become a rock club again, but I think change is good. Cool. Okay. And a few weeks ago, I flip on um, wrestling, uh, Monday Night Raw, and for a split second, you appear uh, within one of the shows where they were doing a, um, I guess it was a 20th anniversary show. So of course, uh, the old, um, song from union underground that was used for Monday night raw was used again for a split second. When they go to use something like in this case, across the nation, do they come to you first and ask for permission or do they have like dibs on that for forever? Basically. Well, initially, the way it started is Union Underground was asked to write a theme song for one of the wrestlers, and we were right. going to be at the end of the compilation album, and all the big bands, from Marilyn Manson to Kid Rock to whoever was on the, the beginning of it. Well, the label, Sony, they came to the studio to hear the song, the demo that, that me and the singer had written, and it was across the nation, and they loved it and said, this, is, this song's too good to go at the end of an album and just be uh, for a wrestler. So uh, the label went to WWE and said, we really think this new band, Union Underground, has a song you're going to really like. And sure enough, WWE decided that it would be the theme song. And we were blown away because, of course, of course, we got money for that. And it's our song. We didn't sell off our publishing or anything. And yeah, every time they use it, we, you know, me and the songwriter, other songwriter get paid. 
Um, but it was just one of those things where we just seized the opportunity. We wanted, we said, look, this is a lot of bands are doing great with WWE. Let's write a fucking badass fucking song. And right. that's where Across the Nation came out. But yeah, once they uh, did the exclusive deal with us for it to be a WWE song, they're allowed to use it all they want now. But when I get my ASCAP check, you know, with Irish Mexican drinking music, yeah, I get paid for that <laughs> still to this day. And it, it feels like free money. That's one of the best things about writing your own music and it getting out there. When that check shows up in the direct deposit or the mail, it's pretty fucking cool. And it, it, and it shows me everywhere it got used and how and you know, people in, in Germany are like licensing it for something or people in Japan, just even outside the U.S. And it makes me feel good. I mean, of course, I love the money. And so I can uh, pay my bills and, and, you know, all that and get a get a cool iPhone and all that. But uh, really, it's just it's flattering that, that somebody would want to use our song so exclusively. Right. Cool. Um, and in that video, if I remember correctly, you had in a, an acrylic uh, BC Rich. Is that right? I still have it. Yeah, that, that's what my next question was. <laughs> it's dead right now. It needs new LED lights. The headstock has broken off because Union Underground, <laughs> it broke off on the road. I actually have a couple of them. I have one that's framed that broke on the Marilyn Manson tour, and it's now part of my recording studio, and it has a light inside it. It's really cool looking. Um, and our BC Rich has been so good to us. As you know, we're on their, uh, we're on their site. We're on the new artist section. And uh, the president asked me the other day, he goes, hey, uh, should we re-release that acrylic series from a long time ago? And I said, absolutely. And I said, uh, I said let, me, uh, let me give all my two cents on what needs to be changed, because that's actually a cheap guitar. It's one of the cheaper ones. And right. I have some ideas for the new one. So cross your fingers. They'll listen to me. Um, and I'm going to make sure that, they, that BC Rich, we put out a really nice, a really nice version of the acrylic. Cool. That, that was... Uh... One of those guitars that um, I always want to get my hands on, and you know, by the time you go to pull the trigger, it's gone. So they they stop making it. But. Yeah, they're on eBay. They don't sound. I'm gonna be honest. Those old ones, they don't sound good because it doesn't resonate like wood. So I had to put an active right. pickup, uh, an 18 volt Seymour Duncan. That's two nine volts for one humbucking pickup. Wow. And that's the only <laughs> way I could get it to sound good. But it sure looks no cool. Kidding. Yeah, they they look awesome. And that was what a yeah. mockingbird as well. Yeah, mockingbird. That's my. That's pretty. I have a bunch of BC riches, but mostly I got mockingbirds. Okay, this is Patrick from Heaven Below. You're listening to Mars Attacks, the place where you hear all the new loudest rock.
the Mars Attacks Podcast. Here's your host, Victor. Get your pull. There you go. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Patrick from Heaven Below. Actually, sort of off-air, we were talking about... uh, Patrick was out in Vegas and got to see the Viva Hysteria, the third night of Hysteria's show... Or Hysteria, I'm sorry, Def Leppard's show out there um, in Vegas. And it's cool to see that the band is actually going back and, I mean, they're doing sort of... All right, this word our own opening act, but they're playing a lot of cuts off of On Through the Night, off of High and Dry, things that they haven't played in years. So it's actually cool that they're doing that. Um, Also, what I'm hearing is that out of all the bands that sort of did the residency out there in Vegas, that they're really the first band to sort of you know, see the potential that this, these can be very special shows. Um, you're pulling in fans from all over the world. If you pull it off right. And, you know, by doing that, by playing something that's atypical, that isn't usually in your, you know, set list, you know, I saw Motley Crue's set list and it's the same thing they've been playing since 05 when they got back together again. You know, a lot of us have, Already seen them a bunch of times play these songs in the last, you know, close to eight years. So, you know, it's cool to see Def Leppard go out there and do this big, you know, bombastic show where they're playing all of Hysteria. uh, And at the same time, they're still going in there and playing deep cuts. And I think that's how you have to do it. In my opinion, you know, a lot of bands are doing the, the full album thing. And that's cool, you know. I think if you ha if you're mixing it up with other stuff that fans don't usually come to see. You know, so I think that's really neat that Def Leppard has gone out there and finally addressed this because I know a lot of, you know, non soccer mom Def Leppard fans were pulling, you know, what little hair they had, if they had any, um were pulling it out. Uh, saying, you know, well, what happened to these first three albums? You know, why aren't we playing anything off of these, you know, off of these albums, especially, you know, On Through the Night and um, High and Dry, which to me are their best two albums. But hey, you know, whatever. Teach their own. Um, Let's see, we're going to get into the George Lynch portion of the episode. Uh, What we're going to do is jump into a really cool track that comes off of an album that came out roughly 10 years ago, the Lynch Pilsen album, LP. Um, I think this album is a lot better than what a lot of people give it credit for. I absolutely barely hear anything about this album. You know, it's usually the first few Lynch Mob albums that people talk about, or they talk about... Uh, Sacred Groove. But this album gets overlooked a lot. And I think that's a damn shame because it is a very strong album through and through. And it's basically Jeff Pilsen, George Lynch, 
and I think the drummer's name was Michael Froween, or I apologize if I'm mixing up the the first name. I know that his nickname was Fro, but anyway, a uh, really cool album. We're going to play the track called Goodbye Utopia, and then from there we'll get into the interview with George Lynch. <laughs> On the phone, we have George Lynch, and we're going to talk to him about various projects that he is currently involved in. And uh, right off the bat, um, one of the things that I wanted to focus on is the Shadow Train uh, project that he's working on. Um, How did this project all start out? How did it all come together? Is this something that 
you brought to the table or did they pursue you to sort of join in on this project? Well, I mean, it's it was something that grew out of a lifetime of concern and thinking and activism and reading, uh, you know, in a, in a myriad of levels. I mean, you know, environmentalism, I've been, you know, part of that movement for, for most of my life and uh, political issues and uh, Native American issues and, and social and economic justice issues and so forth, all on down the line. And I'm a you know diagonal world progressive and and um, you know uh, just you know kind of grew up in a family of people that would sit around or a family would sit around and we talk about these things and and um, you know one thing I'd never been able to do is put these sort of um, interests that I have and I'd say they're more than interests but passions that I have about um, the human condition. In uh, difficulty in putting and wrapping it up in the context of my music, you know, the music that I'm involved in. So uh, that's always been a tough one for me. I've never been able to put it together, you know, unlike other bands that it feels very natural to them, like Rage Against the Machine or some of the bands from you know, some of the newer metal bands that speak to these issues or some of the bands from the late 60s and early 70s, and you know, even Hendrix or Lennon and Dylan and, you know, on and on and on. You know, the history of some music, not just rock music, but. Um, so it's been a long time coming, and this is really an expression of being, for me, being able to put these two uh, things together. You know, music as a vehicle for a message. Yeah, and it's interesting because you just touched upon what I was about to bring up, how uh, with what I have seen online on shadowtrainmovie.com, um, there's one specific instance where you're sort of comparing what you go through as a musician to sort of some of the injustices that have happened to the uh, Native Americans and how, you know, a lot of people that are really doing the work are the ones that are getting sort of punished on all levels as opposed to the guys raking in all the money. Well, yeah. I mean, that's 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 economic injustice, and it's true. I mean, the way our system is built, I mean, our economic system, which is out of control, laissez-faire, you know, good old boy Chicago-style capitalism. You know, I mean, everything trickles from the bottom up. You know, democracy is a great idea. Capitalism, in one form or another, might not be a terrible idea. But the system we have right now is neither democracy nor fair capitalism by any means. And so, you know, Marxism has never really been tried in its purest form, and neither has democracy. So for people in our government or in our country or any other country to claim that we have a wonderful form of democracy is just lying to themselves because that's not true because where does democracy occur in this country? It doesn't occur in the polling booth. Your vote gets stolen or manipulated or obstructed or whatever. And uh doesn't occur at work because you can get fired. You know, you're asked to get fired. You don't own the place. Uh, it doesn't occur at school. You know, I mean, you tell me where it occurs. Um, it doesn't occur in the marketplace. Um, so, um, you know, it's really uh, an unholy alliance uh, just conspiring, really, to uh, benefit very few, you know, at the cost to, the, to most of the rest of us, you know. And I just advocate for a system that really does the best thing for most people most of the time, and simply stated. And I don't know what that is, but, I mean, you know, it's just common sense. You do the right damn thing. <laughs> you know? Right. But when the people are holding, you know, the quarters of power are holding the levers and making the rules, 
and they got a lot to lose. They're not going to let that happen. That's pretty much in the history of humanity forever. So, you know, we all want everything we can get for the least exertion of energy. You know, we want the most for the least return, or the most return for the least amount of uh, um, effort. And that's what animals do. But, But what I advocate is that potentially we can evolve beyond that, and we will have to to survive. Have to evolve to a place where we're a little more compassionate, you know, and a little more forward-thinking beyond our own graves. I agree with you 100%. I mean, given the economic times, it's proved that, you know, something has to give or something has to change to make sure that we can all prosper. Yeah, but you probably already agreed with or the call. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's the problem with a lot of this is that, you know, a lot of us know this, right, instinctively. And when we all talk about it amongst ourselves, I mean, it's an echo chamber. What good does that do, you know? And that's why I'm making the film. For instance, I'm being interviewing Ted Nugent, and we're polar opposites politically. But yet we have the guitar thing in common, so we have that mutual respect. And that is going to be an interesting litmus test of how we can maybe discuss these things in a fair and uh, logical, rational manner, and see if we can come to sort of some sort of a happy medium or conclusion. But there is no compromising, and there is no middle ground with truth and lies. That's the problem I'm I'm running into politically with a lot of these issues. Is that you know people will say, well, why can't there just be this sort of bipartisan middle ground? I go, well, middle ground between truth and lies. Well, what's that? Still a lie. It's just half a lie. Right. About just the truth. How about just do the right thing? Is that too much to ask? Well, apparently it is because somebody has to suffer. You know who that is? One-tenth of one percent at the top. So you can afford to, to, to give back a little bit. Or otherwise, I think the whole system needs to change. Now, that isn't yeah. going to happen with a film or me talking to you on a podcast, but, you know, in our lifetimes, we have to do what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. agree 100%. Um, you just mentioned Ted Nugent. They're also... Um appearances by Serge Tankian and Tom Morello. Um, obviously, they've been advocates for different things over the years, but are are there any other people that we could expect to see uh, in the movie, and are there others that you pursued that perhaps didn't want to get involved? Yes, yeah. Yes, on both counts. Uh, um, Jack Abramoff, to answer your second question first, is a, is a person I really, really wanted in the film and had, had no luck Getting Jack, I don't know if you know who Jack Abramoff is. Uh, uh, I do not. Know who he is, but he's a super lobbyist on the right, pretty much the devil. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are all kinds of skeletons in his closet. Essentially, went to, went to prison for six years. Um, one of the things he was doing, which isn't probably the worst thing he was doing, but pretty pretty bad, was he was taking tens, about hundreds of millions of dollars from the Indians' tribes. To, for them to gain influence so that he could advocate for their position in blocking other Indian reservations from opening casinos so they could open a casino or getting a permit or these kinds of things. You know, he would go to his friends in Washington and advocate for the native tribes to get gaming licenses. But he was doing all kinds of dirty, dirty stuff, and he went to jail for that. Um, and when he got out of jail, he flipped. And he went to the, went to the, the you know, went to the light. Because it's the only place he can make money. Right. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, when you when the, the reformed burglar gets out of prison and writes a book on how to avoid having your house burglarized. 
Uh, right. No way he can make money. He can't rob people's houses anymore. But I don't care <laughs> about his motives. I only care about what he has to say because he has inside knowledge of how the system works and how corrupted it is. And that's important to know because you're really getting down to brass tacks and where the rubber hits the road there. And that, that was an interview I really wanted to get for the film, and we're going to continue to try, but apparently we don't have enough money to offer him. Um, um, we have, uh, let's see, who else did we go after? Dennis Miller, which we got turned down. Uh, on the left, on the extreme left, which I'm very disheartened about, we did not get Immortal Technique, who is a huh. uh, hip-hop activist. Do you know who I'm talking yeah. about? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's a professor of history and, and politics, and you know, it's just powerful, powerful you know, truth-teller. I mean, this guy, is uh, he doesn't pull any punches. He's yeah. uh, pretty, pretty rough, but he needs to be, and I, and I have a tremendous respect for him. He's very smart, and I really wanted him to, uh, I wanted to uh, collaborate with him on some music, and I did write some music that I sent to him, but apparently it wasn't good enough, or something. I don't know. I, I'm not going to question his motives for not getting involved. I respect that, but I'm very just disappointed that it, it so far has not happened. So there's three instances of people that didn't happen in the film so far. Um, but uh, we do have John Trudell, the first American Indian movement leader, who's on the first boat to Alcatraz. And uh, uh, was it the uh, uprising at Wounded Knee? Was, was there when Leonard Peltier was, uh, you know, when all that happened at Jumping Bull and Leonard Peltier, you know, went to prison for the rest of his life? It's been, uh, been just a you know, two, three year war uh, against our government. He's been a soldier for his people for his for his whole life, and we wrote a song together called Trail of Tears. And he's, uh, I interviewed him, or actually Denny Nicastro, the government interviews him in the, in the film, and it's very interesting. And um, uh, we have Serge from System of Down, who's um, you know speaks very eloquently to the Armenian genocide issue and mm-hmm. rec- having that recognized internationally. And we make the parallel in our discussion between the Armenian genocide and. Um, the American genocide, American Native American genocide, which you know we don't recognize in this country either. Um, so, very interesting discussion, and he's he's a very smart guy, and uh, it's beautiful to have these people that are, have so many people that respect them and listen to them, and to be able to share these ideas with them on a meaningful level, and hopefully edify somebody. You know, because one thing I do understand is as a as a music appreciator. There's a lot of people out there that listen to music that has a message that don't care about the message. You know, probably half the people that walk away from a Rage concert don't give a fuck what they said. Because they just want yeah. they're there for, the, for Morello's riffs and that beat, and they're great, and that's all you need, you know. Uh, they don't take anything else away from it. Or they think, yeah, that's cool, fuck the government or whatever they're saying. You know, they don't really read that right. deeply into it. But, you know, <laughs> uh, but, you know Tom is a, a soldier for humanity and has been for a long, long time, especially on labor issues, in fact, I believe it's his forte. And he also has right. a master's degree in political science from Harvard, so that doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anyone from the Native American side that perhaps didn't want to step forward uh, just being scared of infringing on, I don't know, anything on their end? I do get uh, friction from that, yeah. Uh, 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 indigenous people that are resistant to anybody meddling in their business or their cause because they feel that they own that. And and they do. But this isn't about just 
Native Americans. We're only using Native American experience in this country as a lens to kind of view the human condition. So it could be any indigenous people or any poor people or any poor people of color, any people that are oppressed, victims of warfare, genocide, social economic injustice, which is pretty much everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, yeah. So it's it's a much broader scope than just that. We we chose to pick Native Americans because it's a very egregious example in history of, you know, man's inhumanity to man for for greed. Um, And so it's close to home. You know, but I could have done this in Australia or South America or Central America or, you know, a hundred other places, which is hard to get there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And and that's something that I really took away from the trailers that I saw online, where, again, you're trying to tell a story of the human condition and how this has really happened to a lot of different people. And it's really interesting how, you know, it is being um, uh, it's that the Native Americans are being used as a focal point to sort of tell a broader story. Um, as far as the musicians that you played with, um, can you tell, tell us a little bit about them and how did they influence you on this project? Well, Shadow Train, as I mentioned, is a band as well. Okay. And, uh, an interesting band. Uh, when I'll name the members of the band, Greg and I as vocalist, hundred percent is that a Pueblo Indian curator, the, uh, Pueblo Indian Cultural Center in Albuquerque, very knowledgeable about his culture and his people and his language. He speaks Karis and Tiwa and Tewa. And he's a, he brings a lot of um, traditional music to the record that we, that we made. Um, an unbelievable singer, great singer. Um, and a great human being, which as is everybody who's involved in this project. The drummer is the person I originally started this pro- process with, this project with, and that's Vinny McCastro, who's a you know, very interesting history. Uh, he's um, been a lifelong activist for environmental causes, mostly been to jail a lot of times, you know, fighting the, fighting for the earth. And and uh, he's a sculptor, and he lives under the shadow of Mount Whitney up in the Alabama hills in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And it's just, you know, he's just a, a great, great guy. And uh, we were introduced, and we started hanging out together. And actually, him and I just started playing music out in the Alabama hills under the shadow of Mount Whitney and uh, <laughs> videotaping it and driving around the Pike Reservation, Shoshone Reservations, in that part of you know, just California, Nevada, and doing our initial forays out with uh, you know small handheld cameras and field recorders. And that uh, just grew from there. And we brought in Gabe Rosales on bass, who's uh, a, a super activist, a, a really smart kid. Gabe was played bass in my Smoke This band, which is Lynch Mob 2000, right. I believe. He was 19 at the time, and now he's, you know, he's late, late 20s or something. But uh, he's really, you know, really learned a lot. He's read a lot and educated himself, and he's a great writer. He writes for, you know, he's had columns in Access of Justice and a lot of, you know, social economic justice uh, blogs and uh, publications and so forth. He's published and, and uh, very eloquent in the way he speaks. And so um, he's a great addition to the crew and to the band. Um, they have Donnie Dickman, who's you know, this kind of hippie guy that lives in a treehouse in Big Sur and plays all old equipment. He's got Hammond B3s and Leslie's and old Moog synthesizers and Prophet 5s and stuff. And just a sweet guy. And, and, uh, and you know, so the first time I played in the band with a keyboard player, it was very interesting. And, uh, and when we made the record, we recorded at this 
studio called Sound Mountain up in the Tehachapi Mountains in California, very remote. We just all lived there. And we wrote and recorded the whole record in, I believe, five days. We had no ideas. I mean, we just went in and um, just let it happen, you know, and it did. It was just phenomenal. It was just an an amazing experience. It's probably the best guitar tone I think I've ever gotten in my life, just on a guitar level. Talk my guitar a little bit, but it was pretty phenomenal. It was a tone I'd sort of been searching for that I'd never quite been able to get. Uh, you know, I do the '80s thing, I do other stuff, but this this is more of a kind of a cleaner, more kind of a vintage rock thing. It was it was really wonderful. I had just a great time, and uh, the album is phenomenal. It runs the gamut, and depending on which songs we include on the record, but we recorded all kinds of stuff, including a lot of extended jams. Bluegrass to metal to space acid jams to seventies rock, you know, deep purple style rock. <laughs> right. You know, it just some of the stuff sounds like Tom Petty or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of all over the map. And it's really, really freaking interesting. Um cool. And uh I can't wait to put it out. It's done. We just finished it. Yeah, we just finished mixing it and um it sounds phenomenal and I wish I could put it out tomorrow. <laughs> it's <sure. laughs> very frustrating to have to go to sit on this until the film's done, which won't be until the end of the year. Because we're gonna really get yeah. together, obviously. Which sucks for me, but whatever. As far as the tone that you just mentioned, what do you think led you to that tone? Was it the studio? Uh was it a specific piece of gear, a specific guitar that you were using? Well, you know, I I am very into old vintage gear and have been most of my life, and, and you know, uh, and as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate other things about guitar, and I've learned and I've changed what like what I like about guitar. In other words, you know, the overprocessed, overdistorted stuff is useful maybe at certain times, which is what I had mm-hmm. in the eighties, but it's not what I like anymore. And I and even back then, I was always very frustrated. I was like, why, right. why can't I get this tone where you can actually hear the fingers on the strings and you can hear this wood and you can hear the speaker and the tubes, you know? I mean, I want to hear right. the dynamics and the life because that's what allows you to hear the soul of the player, you know, the emotion come through instead of getting masked in all this processing and distortion. Sure. And uh, your voice comes through, I think, more definitively. And I've learned that over the years and I've been working and working on that. And things just lined up on this record. It just, you know, I used quite a bit of stuff, a lot of a lot of different combinations of things. I can't even quite remember everything I used, but it's, <laughs> I think it was just a magical moment because we were so passionate about it because I was doing a record that had more to it than just music. Not that music isn't profound enough in its own right, but when you add right. the element of these philosophical underpinnings and a deeper purpose, it makes it so much more... I don't know the word even. It's just so much more profound. Everything right. mattered a lot more. It wasn't a product I was just making. Okay, I'm going to write some cool riffs. And of course, I'm passionate about my music. But it was now a vehicle for something even larger. So I felt that, and as far as the style, stylistically, I felt I really, you know, there's no reason I can, there's nothing I can't do on this record. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I and not that I and not that I wanted to show off like a Steve Vai record. I'm going, okay, I'm going to pull out all the stops and do everything. You know, <laughs> right? I, I'm a gospel guy. I'm a shredder. I'm a this. I'm a that. You know, I mean, I can play fast. I can play so. You know, I'm not here to prove anything or win an award. Right. It, it's just that 
I wanted to have fun with it, you know? And, and, and that's what we did. I mean, we got in a room and with that level of musicianship in that environment where we were stuck in a kind of a vacant house in the middle of the mountains, three hours from LA on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere, there was no place to go. We, right. eat and, you know, breathe music from the time we got up, time we went to bed. And it was mm-hmm. exciting because every time we sat down in the studio, which is just this big house, I'd throw out a riff, keyboard player throw out something, drummer throw out a beat, we'd start going and we'd go, oh, that's cool. Okay, let's do this, let's do that. But we managed <laughs> to put together, you know, like 15 things, fully, you know, uh, you know, fully figured out songs, arranged songs, uh, for the most part, in that, I think, five-day period, which I know you don't get any awards for making records quickly or anything like that, but right, it was fun. It was exciting to be able to... I mean, it just showed that we were having that much fun and and, and, and the chemistry was flowing, you know. We were able to sure. knock that amount of work out in that short amount of time. We, we captured a moment, you know. And with a lot of it was just a big, happy accident. Cool. It's... um probably how more albums should be made, <laughs> you know? Every record I've done in the last few years has been like that. Since Smoke and Mirrors, Lindflop, which was probably four years old, I've done all my records like that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just finished a record with, um, well, one of them been finished, finished it, but we, we finished all the basics and are mixing three of the songs. I did solos on three of the songs and Doug finished up three vocals. We have this band called KXM and it's Doug Pinnock, myself, and Ray Lazier from Korn. Doug Pinnock okay. and King's X. And, uh, and it's a trio. Doug sings, plays bass, Ray plays drums, I play guitar. And we did the same thing. We got in the same studio, and it was eight days. And we came up with ten things. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> Freaking ridiculous. Well, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, man, oh, man. Completely different animal than Shadow Train. Doesn't even sound like it's from, from the same universe, but it's, you know equally cool on a whole other level, you know. I mean, you know, Doug, Doug, Doug Bennett could sing the, Doug could sing the phone book and make it, you know, sell it to you. you know I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, since the three of you guys are slouches on, on all of your instruments, including yeah. Doug with his voice, you know, I could, I can just imagine, so. Oh, man. It just makes me happy every time I listen to it. I'm, I've had to listen to these, I've, I've purposely listen to these three songs endlessly for the last week or so, you know, as we're mixing it. And I just, I can't get enough of it. I never get tired of it. And uh, everybody I play for is just like, Oh my God, that's the shit. <laughs> okay. That's it. You guys did it. <laughs> you know? So hopefully we'll get yeah. it out to the world. You know, that's a challenge. It's, it's one thing to make it. That's a whole bunch of work and you do it. And then you go, okay, now what do I do with this? Right. If you don't have, like, you know, Peter Grant as your manager, and, you know, <laughs> Universal Records is your record company with all the things that come with that. What do you do? You're just a voice in the wilderness, you know. Yeah. You make a record in, in the forest and nobody's there to hear it. You know, did you make it? <laughs> nobody knows. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's, what, that's what the real work You had also mentioned that you were working uh, with another project called uh, The Infidels. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's Poncho and Sal, which is the drummer and bass player, the rhythm section from War. Eric Burden's okay. old band, very yep. SoCal, lowrider, funk, you know, soul, all that stuff. So uh, we got in a studio, a different studio, the same kind of vibe. We all played at the same time. You know, it wasn't just kind of like, you know, you flew and layer everything all that. It was just live, basically, recording with gobos in between us, and we just went for it. <laughs> and we created some, it's all heavy funk. 
and all instrumentals. It's really cool. Cool. And that's a whole different project. We're just going to sell that through iTunes and iTunes and Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. ESP is kind of a pet uh, project of ESPs that they're going to put their weight behind. And so we're looking at it as kind of a very limited project that may live forever. We don't know. You know? <laughs> just, and what we plan on doing at this point is just putting out a song a month. Hmm, cool. Yeah, yeah. And just have it always be there. And every month you look forward to the new Infidels track. Well, these guys uh, come up with this month. That sounds uh, really neat. Um, and and again, you know, you've played with so many different artists and so many different styles. Is there anyone that you haven't played with that um, that you'd like to play with? And is there anyone that perhaps still isn't around that you wish you could have played with? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, the whole list. I mean, name them all. <laughs> you know, Johnny Leonard, Andrew Jeffick, every drummer, every bass player, every guy that ever mattered. Yeah, I want to play with them all. You know, Miles Davis, hello. Uh, but um, you know, it, okay. But you know, the people I'm playing with are the people I've always wanted to play with. That's cool. I'm, I'm very happy in the moment. You know, and uh, they're all wonderful people. And I think the quality of the person and the character of the person matters more now than the musicianship level. I think, yeah, the kind of person they are, the honesty and integrity of the person, the individual, and and the chemistry between the group members mm-hmm. is much more important than, you know, having four of the world's greatest musicians. You know, I think that's pointless. Sure. And, and that's, really, that's just an act of masturbation, self-congratulatory, <laughs> self-congratulatory masturbation. Look how good we can jack off. I saw a video with you jamming at Nam, and uh, Brian Head Welch of Corn mentioned that you were a big uh-huh. influence on him. Um, how odd is it for you to hear people say that you're an influence? And uh, has anyone ever caught you off guard by saying that you were an influence of theirs? Uh, a lot of the metal guys I talk to say that. Um, I don't quite get the connection because they're making music that has sounds nothing like I can't I can't detect the influence. Right. But you know I guess if you know I were to ever you know meet Hendrix or Clapton or Page or Beck I would say the same thing they're a huge influence which they were, but my music doesn't necessarily sound like theirs so you know I get it. Uh, it's an honor you know uh, to be known that you had an influence on somebody that went on to play meaningful music. Uh, that's great. Um, I actually have a picture of um, Head when he was mm-hmm. probably 16 years old with a, uh, a big hair, stretchy pants, and a tiger guitar. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I think that's pretty funny. And then I have, right next to it, I have the picture of him now with the dreads and the tats. I mean, pretty funny picture. Wow, that's awesome. Those two photos next to each other is pretty dramatic. So. Hey, this is George Lynch, Lynch Mob, Dawkins, and all kinds of other projects, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
Паренек, little man, you must listen to a lot more of Mars Attacks podcast to keep up with me. Want to thank all you guys for checking this episode out. Uh, want to remind you to go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to check out previous episodes. You can stream them or download them directly from the site. You can also subscribe via iTunes and subscribe to all the other good stuff, the Facebook, the Twitter, so on and so forth. You can find all that information right there on the right-hand side of the Mars Attacks podcast. Uh, check out previous episodes, like I said. Check out the Classic Albums column, which contains different types of input from musicians, producers, show hosts, and all types of other people associated to the music industry regarding specific albums. This month's Classic Albums column is Slayer's Seasons in the Abyss. Been getting really good reviews regarding that. A lot of people that have been telling me, hey, you know, thanks to this episode, I've gone back and checked out Seasons. So that's cool. That's exactly what this is all about. So listen to that and go back and revisit all the other great Classic Albums columns that we've done. And not great because I've done them, but because they have, you know, great music and great comments from people. Um, what else? Um, I mentioned the last episode, we're still working on something big uh, for down the, down the road. Hopefully at some point next month in April or May, we will be able to finally get everything pieced together and bring you these, what I feel is going to be a big, uh, big game changing, uh, aspect of, the podcast and the entire Mars Attacks uh, network, per se. So we'll keep you guys posted on that. And that's pretty much it. Uh, We're going to leave you with a track. Let's see. Ah, here's an odd one, since we're all about giving you odd things that you can't hear other places. This is off of the Rebel Yacht. Album. I believe that's how it's pronounced. It was the Electra 40th Anniversary double CD. There was a whole box set. Uh, I bought this one summer as a kid here in Spain on CD. Uh, it turns out that what I had paid for this was like close to 60 bucks, if I'm not mistaken, for this double CD. This is where you could originally find Metallica's Stone Cold Crazy before it appeared on Garage uh, garage Ink years later and probably appeared in some other import single. Anyway, this is an old blues track that I also saw Richie Scarlet of Ace Frehley fame play once at the Roseland. There was some uh, Christmas show that a uh, person I was dating at the time bought me tickets to go see because the Misfits were supposed to play. Well, they backed out and Richie played with some band called None of Your Business or something like that. Anyway. So here we go, I'm rambling here. Speaking of ramblings, check out VictorMRuez.com, the incoherent ramblings of Victor M. Ruiz podcast. Anyway, here we go, Lynch Mob going down. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast.
you for listening to the Mars Attacks Podcast. To keep up with the show or go back and check previous podcasts, go to MarsAttacksRadio.com or subscribe via iTunes. You can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. And don't forget Twitter at Mars Aries 2005 and Google Plus. For more information, visit the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com. Thank you for staying tuned into the Mars Attacks podcast. Thank you and good night. Thank you and good night.